Are you confused about real food and what's healthy and good for the planet? Do you need the facts about local, organic, and sustainable food? Well, get ready to change the way you eat. Get ready for The Appropriate Omnivore with Aaron Zober. Hello, and welcome to another episode of The Appropriate Omnivore. July Independence Month continues as I interview Mike Konanian of Art is in Bread. Plus, the desserts will tell you how to live appropriately in the upcoming week. But first, let's go to the appetizers and find out what's happening in the world of real food. Arkansas has now made it legal to sell raw milk if the purchase is made on a farm. It's still illegal for grocery stores or farmers markets to have raw milk for sale. The law allows to sell up to 500 gallons of raw cow's milk and 500 gallons of raw goat's milk on their properties. I don't understand why some states allow for unpasteurized milk to be sold only at farms. But the citizens of Arkansas being able to purchase fresh milk, at least on farms, is a great start. Next, the Journal of Hematology and Thromboembolic Diseases recently published a study that links genetically modified crops to leukemia. The study finds that the GMO foods carry Bacillus thuringiensis, also known as cryotoxins, which can also lead to blood abnormalities, suppression of bone marrow proliferation, and abnormal lymphocyte patterns. Here's more proof why you should avoid GMOs. Also, the industry magazine Beverage Digest says that soda pop sales are down and they've been declining consistently going back to 1998. The three major companies, Coca-Cola, Pepsi, the Dr. Pepper Snapple Group, all have lower sales for their second quarters in North America. Many reasons are listed for the fall in sales, and one is health concerns about sugary drinks causing weight gain. While it's great to see some people being more health conscious, this doesn't mean everyone's going for healthy drinks now. Another reason for the decline is more drink choices, such as these energy drinks that are filled with all sorts of unnatural ingredients. In other health news, fluoride expert Jeff Green says many non-organic foods have extremely high levels of fluoride due to the pesticides sprayed on them. Green says this accounts for one-third of people's fluoride exposure. Cryolite is very effective at killing bugs, and cryolite is sodium-aluminum fluoride. As fluoride is a dangerous weight project, this is yet another reason to eat organic. And finally, in a recent issue of the Gastroenterology Journal, it says that good gut flora is beneficial for your brain functioning. A study was done with one group consuming yogurt with four major probiotic bacteria twice a day for a month, another group eating the same amount of yogurt without the probiotics, and a final group that didn't have any yogurt. I'm a big advocate of probiotics and extremely proud to see this study in support of it. And now for the main course. We continue our July Independence Month where we showcase independent businesses. The independent business for this week is the Artisan Sourdough Bread Maker. With the low-carb craze, wheat gets demonized, but not all wheat is created equal. The commercial breads you find in stores are loaded with processed ingredients such as canola oil, high-fructose corn syrup, and other ingredients that I don't even know how to pronounce. Plus, regular bread is made with baker's yeast, which has no nutritional value. There is a way to get some great bread and obtain some nutritional benefits. I'm talking about sourdough bread. Throughout history, traditional cultures have baked their bread by way of fermentation using sourdough cultures. 
Sourdough startup cultures are used in place of baker's yeast and have probiotic benefits from the fermentation. Unfortunately, a lot of breads you see in supermarkets labeled as sourdough aren't the real thing. If a bread lists yeast in its ingredients, then it's not true sourdough. Real sourdough bread typically contains only the ingredients of wheat, a starter culture, salt, water, and possibly some olive oil. Here to talk with me about sourdough bread making is Mike Konanian of Art is in Bread. His sourdough bread is the real deal. His company mills all of the grains themselves for the bread they make. They also offer several sourdough breads baked with alternative grains. Mike, it's a pleasure to have you on this program and represent bread making for our Independence Month of July. It's a pleasure to be here, sir. I really admire what you do with all the sourdough breads that you make, the way you make them, and the sourcing of all your products and your equipment. So tell us a little bit about how you got involved with sourdough bread making. Well, our family was involved in um, pretty much meat production, which was a USDA meat plant. So we've been in the food industry for about 35 years now. And so in regards to that, I would say approximately five to six years ago, my father had a plan to start off a good old-fashioned bakehouse where we would provide the people with good old wholesome bread and other baked goods. So we pretty much started it off with mainly what was the the mill slash uh, what we mill our grains with into flour. And we purchased our mill from Europe, which was made out of a, a volcanic rock from the Swiss Alps, which is made out of a cedar wood in its construction. So pretty much what the volcanic rock offers is a low heat milling process, which does not burn out all the natural found nutritional slash mineral facts that are in the kernel itself, in the grain. So all the fiber is intact, and when we mill, it doesn't mill over 102 degree temperature and all the natural found oils and the nutrients are all intact and that's what offers a true nutritional aspect of what our breads offer so that's what gives it the true taste the true flavor and the true good old wholesome nutritional effects that we would like to give out in our breads and tell us a little more about the type of meal that you use for your sourdough bread making Okay, our mill is a um, is a uh, is an Austrian brand family. It's a five generation old uh, family operation that they offer, which has been around again for five generations. And these people always enjoyed, you know, giving the good old rustic feel and the good old rustic purpose of milling. So. When we found these people, you know, we took a trip to Europe, and we actually ran into this family by accident. And, you know, we had a nice dinner, and they offered us, and they told us the information about what they do. And so we went, we took a trip back to their ranch, and they showed us their whole factory setup that they had at their ranch. And as we got to know them better, and as we got to know their products better. We truly enjoyed the whole aspect of what they could offer. So we partnered up with them 
and we purchased their mill. So when we came back to good old L.A., where our uh, bakehouse is located, we pretty much started off baking due to the fact that we purchased the mill from them. And everything started off from then. And then we researched, we did a lot of research for, you know, the type of grains that we could purchase. And a lot of them were, you know, GMO, genetically modified wheat. And we didn't believe in that because we like to keep it good old-fashioned, old-school, rustic, all-natural, you know, baking. So we found, you know, certain um, family-owned growers in Montana, Utah, and Idaho where they supplied good old-fashioned grown non-genetically modified wheat. We actually took a trip down there and we saw what their whole process was. And the process was as if you would go back 300 years and see people growing wheat and harvesting wheat the good old-fashioned way. And no, you know, artificially used fertilization, no incubation, no greenhouse, none of that. Just good old-fashioned heat supplied by the sun, all natural uh, fertile soil, and the wheat is pretty much, true wheat is supposed to be, you know, man's height, which, you know, it grows in natural aspects. But a lot of genetically modified wheat is 6 to 12 inches high and mass-produced. So we just kept it to the uh, bare minimal, which is what you need in good old-fashioned baking. And we started off creating our natural sourdoughs, which are with our natural starters, where we figured out, you know, what to feed and what to give. And our uh, starters, uh, our starters were pretty much produced from natural fruits, which were from again natural soil, non artificial, you know, fertilization, which is organic fertilization, now that we know of it, you know, there's a lot of organic and natural labeling given to a lot of products nowadays, but pretty much organic means non, um, non-modified and non, non pretty, pretty much the less they use in your process, the better your yield is and the better your product is. So we just stick to the good old rustic natural ways of what our ancestors have known and have produced throughout thousands of years of baking. I think that's very interesting that it actually all starts with the type of mill you use because certainly a lot of us know about sourcing the right type of grains and ingredients for food, but even before that you have to have the right mill to grind them. So the one you use, how does that differ from the other ones that a lot of these commercial breads use? Well, our mill, again, is all hand-built, and the stone itself is a volcanic stone. There are metal mills that are being used nowadays, and there are, again, stone mills that are being used very uh, a few people use. But, again, those stones are made out of granite. See, what granite it offers is, number one, radiation, which, <laughs> you know, everybody knows that it's not good for humans to absorb and two granite is again a stone but it heats up the the grain during the milling process up to 200 220 degrees 
which burns out natural found elements in the grain itself. See, the volcanic rock, since it is a volcanic rock, it has heated up and then it has cooled down. It can literally grind down a diamond to nothing. So what that does, but again, when it grinds down the kernel into into flour, it does not heat it up over 102 degrees. So it's still a cool milling process, which does not burn out all the natural found elements and nutrients in the in the kernel slash grain itself. So that's what offers the quality and the yield that you want in a true sourdough bread. Right. So certainly it starts with the mill, and then as you're talking about, you source the right type of grain. So how do you go about finding where you can find grains that are organic and not genetically modified and hybridized? Well, see, that's the, I mean, throughout the U.S., there are so many growers of wheat itself. I, I would say over maybe 500 growers. But, again, out of the 500, you could probably find about maybe 50, you know, family-owned farms that do it the good old natural way without genetically modifying. Because these people are looking to yield out volume of wheat. They're looking to yield out the quantity of wheat that, you know, true bakers want and true, you know, uh, bakers need. So it was it was quite a task to find out the specific families that we would like to work with and, you know, taking, taking several trips throughout America. We found these, you know, two, three family-owned farms that could, you know, supply us with non-GMO wheat that we need again, to produce the the quality of the product that we need, that we want for the consumers. And you actually offer a number of types of wheats because you certainly do offer a more traditional type, conventional wheat, but you also offer some alternative grains. Tell us about some of the alternative grains that you use to make your sourdoughs. Well, we we pretty much start off with the two, two universal types of uh, grains that are known or are pretty much used are whole red wheat, and whole white wheat. But in those two aspects, there are spring and there are winter. So pretty much then there are soft and hard in both varieties. So soft usually is the spring, which is used for pastries and, you know, um, softer baked goods. And the hard wheats, which are both wheats, which are the red wheat and the white wheat, are used in baking for bread. And the winter wheats have seen all four seasons of of uh, of temperature and different climates, and so those are the main types of wheat that we use. But also, into addition, in addition to those wheats, we use spelt, rye, uh, mainly those two right now for now, because you know that's what the public knows majority-wise. But there are other uh, you know different types of grains that are coming into popularity nowadays and but you know slowly but surely you know they are coming out there because they are found they are known to have a lower gluten level and you know people are nowadays there's a lot of people with celiac disease and um you know gluten sensitive people but those types of uh grains supply lower gluten levels so that those people can ingest much more easily, but since we mill our own wheat and since it takes 24 to 36 hours of fermentation time in our breads, in our sourdough breads, all the gluten is broken down 
and all the natural found amino acids and the proteins are broken down. So people can ingest our breads without having having any true um, uh, indigestion problems or digestion problems. So that's our main goal is to produce the type of sourdough bread so that people can ingest and not have any not have any health issues regarding their, you know, intestinal digestion. Have you had some people that have had problems with gluten or wheat sensitivities that said they've been able to have your bread, whereas they've had trouble with other breads? Uh, most definitely. We've had a lot of people complain about, you know, them ingesting store-bought, store-bought you know, bread, commercially produced bread, and they've all complained about, you know, they've gone to their doctors and they've talked about their um, their uh, health issues, and the doctors have always come up with the fact of, yes, you have celiac disease, or yes, you are gluten sensitive, and so forth. And the reason that most people have these issues are because of the commercially used commercial baker's yeast that is being used. So what the commercial does is it causes natural, it causes a faster fermentation time for the bread to yield. So the faster uh, fermentation time equals to less breaking down of the natural fermentation time. So that causes people to have all these health issues. So what we do is we don't include any other artificial, uh, artificial meaning commercial yeast, or there's other you know chemicals being used in in yielding the bread, which 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 causes it to stop, uh, to stay longer for uh, shelf life, less molding, and uh, bigger. Uh, yield and size, which means pretty much like blowing up a balloon, which is puffiness. So the so the bread might look bigger, and you know, good looking, but in actuality, it is not good for your digestion, and it's not actual bread because compared to 36 hours of fermentation, their bread blows up and ferments in half an hour to an hour. So comparably, longer is better when you're baking. That's what the true aspect is. So we use for natural found ingredients the flour that we mill, purified water, sea salt, and olive oil. Again, that's all you need in true good baking. And how long of a fermentation process do you have for your bread? Well, it, it, it ranges from 24 hours to 36 hours maximum, depending on the yield and, 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 and the bread itself. But mainly it takes about a minimum of 24 hours from start to finish until we take it to the next level, which is baking the bread in, the, in our stone-made ovens that we've actually custom-made ourselves. All of our ovens that we have, it includes no direct heat, which means no direct gas coming in, and there's no actual fire in the, in the oven itself. We've lined it all with natural stone uh, bricks, which all the heat is in between the stones, which is like a tunnel type of system. So from milling the wheat to actually baking the bread, everything is very, very, uh, we, we put a natural twist on it where we don't believe in, you know, anything artificially induced. And you were talking a little earlier about baker's yeast, and you've also mentioned GMOs. I've heard that in a lot of baker's yeast, that also contains some genetically modified ingredients. 
Well, true, because see, when you do a natural fermentation process, you have natural wild yeast, which surrounds us every day of our everyday aspect. Everywhere you go, there's natural wild yeast. But see, what commercial yeast is, it's artificial yeast, which man has made, man has created again, which is a pretty much a chemical to to fasten the process of, again, the yields of your bread. So again, anything that is man-made or artificially induced in baking, I, we don't believe in because that's what causes all the health issues in people nowadays because, you know, Again, like I said, most doctors that people go see when they have complaints about, you know, pain and indigestion and so forth, that all has to do with genetically modified or man-made chemicals that go into our baking, which is the main cause of all these problems. And again, when we mill our own wheat, we keep all the natural fibers intact. We don't separate it from the wheat itself, from the flour itself. So the natural fibers also help you ingest and absorb all the natural found nutrients found in the baked goods. So again, we keep it old school and old fashioned with all the true good nutritional facts that your body could absorb and, you know, enjoy. And you also were talking about how you use some alternative grains. Some of the newer alternative grains, or I shouldn't say newer because these are actually the earliest ones, are grains such as einkorn, kamut, amaranth. Have you looked at all into making some breads with those types of grains? Well, we're definitely looking forward onto baking a bread with those ingredients. But again, you know, we're taking it slow, slowly, so that, you know, people, the more that they know, the more that you could offer to them. So for now, we're offering, you know, baked goods, mostly with the whole red wheat and the whole white with spelt and rye. Again, we have like a specific bread that we have a nine grain, which includes all the essential nine grains, plus spelt, rye, whole wheat, caraway seed, um, barley, millet, and so forth. You know, we're, we're oats. So we're offering people, you know, bread that, you know, doesn't taste like cardboard. It's also good for you, but it has a true good taste to it where people could actually enjoy it by ingesting it. And that's a multigrain bread where also all the grains are whole grains, right? Correct. Correct. We actually mill all the whole grains into a finer powder to include, to go into the bread itself. So we actually do everything from scratch. You know, there there, there are companies that offer the nine grains or six grains or whatever, but they're already pre-milled. Again, they use metal mills, which burn out of natural found oils and you know, um, vitamins and minerals in the grains itself. But we don't believe in that. We, again, go back to the old school way of actually milling our soul. So we crack the grains into powder, which, I mean, you know, like flour is a powder of the grain itself. So, you know, we crack it down and we mix it with our breads. And we, we produce the breads that taste great and that are great for you. I think those multigrain breads they see in stores are one of the biggest cases of health washing. They hear the word grain and they assume because they say multigrain that it's whole grain, but all it really means of those breads that you see in stores is they use a bunch of different ones, but each grain is heavily refined, so it's white and bleached. Exactly. A lot of grains that are mass-produced are bleached and are refined. 
So commercial products that you, when every time you purchase any bread, it could be from Whole Foods, it could be from Ralph's, it could be from any major supermarket that you, that you purchase from. They claim for these breads to be all natural, unrefined, and un, but they all are when you when you flip over and you read the ingredients, it's about a paragraph long where bread isn't supposed to have a paragraph long of ingredients included in it. It should have a few simple ingredients which make it into bread. And a lot of people are mass producing bread. A lot of companies, a lot of different types of brands are mass producing breads which are found in our supermarkets that we all purchased our goods from. That's an important point you bring up that just because it's in one of these natural food stores like Whole Foods or Trader Joe's doesn't really mean that it's all natural. Those stores have lots of junk food as well as the fact that they are supermarkets, so they have to put things in the products to stay on the shelf longer. It's become a thing of me, not that I completely avoid supermarkets, but I try to buy most of my food at the farmer's market, which is where I can get certainly your artisan bread, because at the farmer's market, I see that as having one less step of going to the consumer. You have the manufacturer and the farmer, and it just goes right to the consumer. When you go to the supermarket, they have to add some stuff so it can either have prolonged shelf life or it's been refrigerated for a little bit. Correct. And what happens is, again, the longer shelf life that producers have, the longer they can keep their products on their shelves for it to be sold. But again, see, in our natural baked goods, in our breads, in our sourdough breads, if you purchase one of our breads, you could definitely keep it on your counter without being freezed or without it being, you know, packaged on your counter itself from six to eight days without the bread going bad. Again, we have no preservatives found in our breads. We have no chemically... Um, uh, we have no chemicals found in our breads. So our breads will last from five to eight days on your kitchen counter without having a problem, again, without having preservatives. And what the secret is, is that when you bake a true, good, old-fashioned sourdough, you have to have a hard crust. What the hard crust provides is a, a barrier where the inner part of the bread doesn't get dry. So pretty much without wrapping it in, plastic or without wrapping it in wax paper, you can leave the bread out on your counter, again, without having any issues, and you could eat that bread up to eight days. Now, a true good sourdough bread, you could also freeze, but not refrigerate. What freezing does, again, if there are no preservatives, nothing breaks down in the freezing and thawing process. So, again, if people, you know, they're not a big family or they're, you know, one or two people in the household... They could, again, you know, freeze half a loaf of our bread and take it out and naturally allow it to thaw back, and they could pretty much cut up that bread and eat it by itself. You could also toast it. You could also heat it up in a skillet and what and whatnot. But, again, natural bread isn't supposed to mold up quickly because, again, see, preservatives keep it softer for a long time, but that doesn't mean it's going to stay fresh. Soft doesn't equal fresh. Soft, it could stay soft, but then again, you're going to see green mold growing on it and so forth. I mean, I've had incidents where I've purchased bread from, you know, uh, 
from major supermarkets or whatnot. I mean, the bread itself looks great, but when you bring it home, either you cut it or it's pre-sliced, but you take, you know, apart the slices, you see mold growing in it. But a lot of people don't realize that. A lot of people might not see it. But since you're in the industry of baking, you, I pretty much see those, you know, those uh, imperfections found in the bread. And when we keep your bread out on the counter, do you recommend putting in anything such as a plastic bag or a bread box? Well, if if you want the bread to stay, stay softer, you could always wrap it with a plastic bag or in a Ziploc. But if you want the bread to stay as is with the harder crust, again, but the interior of the bread being soft, just put in a paper bag, again, on your kitchen counter. But again, you have no problems of freezing it. But when you do freeze it, you need to put it in a plastic bag so that you don't get freezer burn. And usually what I do, since I am one person, I usually take half of it and keep it out on the counter and then freeze the other half. And in a week, then I have the rest of my sourdough. And so I take that out, and then I've got that. Perfect. And that's how you prolong the true natural shelf life of your bread without it having any artificial preservatives or additives in it. And also what a lot of major chains do is if they if they have a specific bread, a lot of uh, supermarkets nowadays, what they do is they purchase breads that are called par-baked. What par-baked means, it's 70% fully cooked, fully baked, I should add. And what that does is when they purchase the bread par-baked, it's usually frozen. And again, they have their own um, commercial ovens where they uh, take the frozen bread, allow it to thaw a little bit, and then defrost, and then they uh, bake it again. But then again, most of those breads, again, have a lot of preservatives in it, which allow it to be baked from the par-baked state, again, with the longer shelf life. So we don't believe in that. We like to offer all-fresh, all-natural prepared uh, bread without freezing it. That sounds good. So we'll talk more about sourdough bread making with Mike of Artisan Bread. But first, some words from our sponsors. To Your Health Sprouted Flour Company offers organic sprouted grains and flours for all your baking needs. We have more than 34 sprouted products, hundreds of recipes, and are always available to answer your flour and baking questions. Whether you're making sourdough breads, French baguettes, birthday cakes, granola, or pancakes, let us be your sprouted grain and flour source. Certified organic and kosher, featuring 20 gluten-free sprouted products. And for the month of July, you get free shipping on orders of 15 pounds or more. Go to the website, organicsproutedflour.net, or call toll-free at 877-401-6837 to start shopping. What is a healthy diet? Conflicting information is thrown at us daily. Help chart your course to wellness with a steady guide, the Weston A. Price Foundation. Our nutrition and health information is helping many families recover from degenerative disease and nutrient deficiencies. Join for only $40 a year and receive our quarterly journal. Visit our website, westonaprice.org, for more details. Olea States Olive Oil has been produced by the Cronus family on a small estate in Sparta, Greece since 1856. The olives are all certified organic and hand-picked. The oil is cold-pressed within 30 minutes and is extra virgin with an acidity of 0.24. I use Olea for all my olive oil needs, cooking, baking, 
salad dressing, hummus, and much more. Olea is distributed in the U.S. by Carl Berger. All products can be ordered on the website oleastates.com or by contacting Carl by email k-a-r-l at oleastates.com. And we're back. You're listening to the Appropriate Omnivore podcast with Aaron Zober. For our Independence Month in July, I'm interviewing Mark Konanian of Artisan Bread, and we've been talking about sourdough bread making, the advantages that sourdough has over these commercial breads that you find in stores. And I want to ask you, Mike, certainly I'm a big fan of sourdough, and so are many. I know other people. Certainly the Weston A. Price Foundation is a big advocate of it, and a lot of my colleagues in it. We like to buy sourdough bread. Do you see sourdough bread being more popular as people are being more interested in knowing about their food and going back to traditional foods? Most definitely. Of course, I see people, you know, going back again to their roots because what our roots provided for us was good old wholesome food in every aspect, naturally grown vegetables, um, naturally uh, our our, uh, cattle and animals that were, you know, grass-fed and so forth. So people are trying to go back to the elemental stage of of uh, consuming food, which is the most natural. And so sourdough offers the, all the natural aspects of bread making combined with the true flavor of the bread itself. And again, there are different types of sourdough breads that major, you know, sourdough baking companies offer. But again, most of them, when you read their labels, there's always yeast included in their baking process. And natural sourdough is supposed to have no yeast, no commercially made found in it. And the sour taste that you get from the sourdough is from the sour cultures, from the prebiotics and the probiotics that are found in the bread itself. So you could pretty much, um, the, if you wanted more sour, then you feed your starter less. If you want it less sour, you feed it more. So what we try to offer is a balanced taste in our bread without it being too sour because most people, you know, some people either it's a, it's a love it or hate it situation in bread. Either people love sourdough or they can't stand the taste. So what we try is to find the gray area in between without making it too sour and without killing the true taste of sourdough itself. So when we offer our breads, people could consume it and enjoy it because it doesn't have that true sour bite in it where a lot of people unfortunately haven't uh, yielded a taste for it nowadays. But slowly they are and is growing and it's becoming more of a known uh, culture, I could say. Certainly getting the right culture is another important key in making the perfect sourdough bread. What do you make your starter cultures from? Uh, again, when we start off making our starter, my mother actually, which is a great cook, and she enjoys preparing foods for the family and for the loved ones and for you know friends and relatives and so on. And she started producing her starter from natural grapes and apples where these natural trees that were found actually in my grandmother's yard were yielded from natural, 
we treated um, soil, which was naturally growing. So they're pretty much wild apples and wild grapes. And again, you have to let allow those fruits to ferment itself, so they can break down all the sugars and all the gluten. I mean, not the gluten, but all the glucose. It's pretty much like winemaking, but you cannot allow it to become vinegar or alcohol. So what happens is you have to play with it, and you have to baby, you have to baby the culture itself, the starter itself, so that it breaks down all the natural found wild yeast. And then you slowly start, once you get the true starter going, and again, it's a very specific process where you have to truly pay uh, pay a lot of, um, uh, you, have to, you have to put a lot of time and effort into it, and you have to pay a lot of attention to it. And so once you get that true balance, you start feeding it, we start feeding it with our natural milled uh, flour from our natural wheat. And you have to feed it just like your baby every day, a couple of times a day, so that you get the true yield that you want. So it starts off from natural fruits and natural flour. That's the base that you find in a true sourdough starter culture. I think that's fascinating, actually, that fruit is used for it, because a lot of us don't think of using something like a fruit in bread, and I think that must also add to the nutrition of it, that you don't just use grains, but that you use fruit. Definitely. When you start off your, your culture, yeah, what, what we chose was the fruit because, again, it gives it that distinctive taste, and it's, it's, it's a very old, old tradition that was being used, again, from all of our ancestors back in the days. So that's what gives it that distinctive taste and that distinctive texture and that distinctive yield that you want from a true sourdough bread. Absolutely. And I think another thing that's gotten people more aware of the type of bread they're consuming and the type of grains that they're sourcing is the book Wheat Belly. Have you read that book? I've heard a lot about it, but um, and I've actually grabbed the book, but I never got a chance to read throughout the whole book. But um, I've heard a lot of great things about it, but I've also heard that you know it goes too extreme in some sorts. But um, again, you know, I've heard both sides of um, reflection from it. I would certainly be in the camp that thinks it goes a little too extreme, but I do admire that it brings up more awareness of how our bread and our grains have changed throughout time and that the type of bread that we're consuming now is from a type of hybridized wheat that's not the same as our parents, our grandparents, and definitely not our ancestors were eating. So I do like it for that and that it's gotten people more aware. I know a lot of people fortunately don't have to follow the book lock and key and believe everything it says to never eat grains again but they've become more aware and they want to start using some of the early grains such as einkorn true again um like i said um thanks to the internet a lot of people have a lot of options to research and to read and to find out more about techniques and um ways of preparing different types of food and that has a true um, value, again, regarding sourdough breads. So, you know, a lot of people are sharing their thoughts and their ideas and their ingredients and their preparations on how to bake goods, and I'm a true uh, believer in that because, again, people could share, you know, the good old wholesomeness and the true good facts of preparing sourdough bread. And, you know, whenever you do something like that, you have to put love and effort into it. You have to truly enjoy something that you do, no matter what it is in life. 
So if you're doing something to the utmost pleasurable, you know, um, effects, then you're going to get something that's uh, pretty much something that's great to ingest and something to enjoy. And you just put love and effort into it, and I guess, you know, you'll get a lot of good feedback from what you do. And I know for the most part the bread that artisan bread sells, it's mainly just the traditional loaves of bread. But certainly I know sourdough making can be used for lots of other types of baked goods from pizzas to cakes and cookies, lots of types of desserts. On your own time, have you tried any of that? I definitely have. I've made a lot of uh, pizza dough, again, without any commercial baker's yeast. And again, a lot of misconception that people get is the, the name sourdough itself, because people automatically, when you hear sourdough, you think sour. But that's not the fact. Sourdough, what it truly means is non-commercially produced dough, which is, again, a great yielding dough, a natural dough, without any commercially or uh, artificially induced ingredients or products in it. So, you know, you, you, great, you get great um, cake batter, cake dough from it. You get great pizza dough from it. You can certainly get any type of dough that you want. What sourdough means is just no commercial baker's yeast in it with a natural um, fermentation. And also we've made some great, great uh, butter croissants, sourdough butter croissants, which include, again, non homogenized, non-margarine-based croissants. We use only natural French butter. And again, if you look at France, a lot of people, most of them are not obese, and they use a lot of, you know, butter, which doesn't necessarily mean, you know, it's fattening. But again, you have a natural source of uh, fat or, um, you know, oils that you need to bake. So, but nowadays, a lot of people use, you know, margarine. They use the saturated fat. They use um, vegetable shortenings and so forth. So, we try to keep it, again, rustic as much as we can. And we love to use the best ingredients, again, to yield the best type of product. Those croissants sound so good. I mean, I love butter. As my colleague Kelly, the kitchen cop, said, she made the shirt, said, butter was framed and more of recent times people are realizing that actually butter is good for you and to avoid these margarines which are made of canola oil and lots of gmos in them and you make a very good point when you bring up france of everything they eat i mean they also they eat a lot of meat and a lot of fats and they're healthy so you really see how what we're told about nutrition and what's good and bad for you we get it so wrong when you look at these European countries and what they eat. Exactly. I mean, you know, all across Europe, you see people enjoying their foods. They're, they have time to sit down and enjoy their lunches or the dinners with a great glass of wine and so forth. And unfortunately, you know, the, the way our system is built, we have to run around with the fast, 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 go to work fast, you know, eat fast. Everything we're doing is on a fast pace. But, again, that fast doesn't necessarily mean nutritionally correct. And, you know, we just have to slow down a little bit and truly get back to our roots, which is, you know, enjoying the foods that we prepare at home or, you know, again, sharing with one another, which which is the true essence of 
food and enjoyment that I believe in itself. And that's what we try to offer to our consumers and to our, you know, people that are enjoying. And that's just that's just the true aspect of it, where you keep it true, you keep it simple, and you keep it tasting great. Another country you look at is Italy, which certainly they are known for eating grains, or at least certain parts of Italy are known for eating a lot of grains and breads. But when you look at like a loaf of bread in Italy, it looks so different than what we're used to seeing here because those breads are like baked fresh daily, and it's a very different type of breads that you see in the mainstream, but certainly the type of breads that you make are more in step with those. Correct. We, we um, Well, the three main countries in Europe that are known for baking uh, baked goods are, um, I would say number one is Germany because they're known as breadland. And they and they and they tend to use to bake darker breads in their in their entry aspect. So they use most of you know again the winter wheats, the hard wheats that are known to be darker. But again, Italy and France and all across Europe, you see a lot of people eating carbohydrates, which is pretty much you know uh, starchy foods, and starch is obviously comes from, you know, wheat, but then again, you don't see these people being overweight and obese, and they, they, they tend to balance out their meats and their breads or their baked goods with a balanced diet, so, you know, it's, it's all about keeping a balance and truly um, enjoying every type of food in its simple, pleasurable way. Could you see possibly in the future including some other types of baked goods with sourdough as part of the products that you offer at the farmer's market? We definitely do, and we're working on uh, different plans on baking, again, more varieties of baked goods. For example, um, my ethnicity is Armenian. My background is Armenian. I'm first-generation American Armenian where I was born here, and we have a uh, very traditional bread, which is called lavash. It's a flat bread, which is very uh, similar to the to the consistency of a tortilla, the the thinness, but the texture is different. And we see lavash being used in many wraps nowadays, where you know you have sandwich wraps and different types of wraps. And uh, majority-wise, where you see commercially baked lavash, it is being again baked with yeast. Um, they use milk powder. They use uh, they use a lot of uh, soybean oil. They use a lot of oils to keep the bread soft, which is the main uh, characteristic of the bread. But again, we're we're starting to line off where it contains no yeast, no baker's yeast, no commercial yeast, and no uh, no dairy products. And nothing, again, whatsoever that has nothing to do with baking, which unfortunately nowadays has a lot to do with baking and the commercial aspect. But we're keeping it true and simple, and we're keeping our breads high in fiber, very soft, and very pleasurable to ingest. So we have a lot of goals in the near future that we're working on that hopefully, you know, the people are going to enjoy and to appreciate. Is lavash what's used to wrap foods such as like shawarma and falafel? Uh, well, falafel and are they're the, the mainly they're used uh, pita breads, but nowadays you see a lot of like um, 
for example, turkey wraps, salmon wraps, BLTs, you know, um, when people order out, for example, like those pre-made sandwiches for parties and for brunches, right. yeah, you see those uh, lavash, you know, being a wrap type of bread. Again, like I said, it's it's very similar to the tortilla because, again, there's two types of tor- tortilla. There's corn and there's wheat. But, again, even though the wheat tortilla, it's a, it's a little bit of harder, more rubbery, more chewy, but this bread's more softer. Again, it melts in your mouth, and it's very consistent with the ingredients you put inside of it. So it, it balances out the flavors in a, in a uh, better aspect. Do you also make a sourdough pita wrap for things such as shawarma and falafel? Uh, actually, we're also working on that, too, because, again, the lavash line that we can use to bake lavash, we can use to bake pitas again as well. Again, with no yeast, without any uh, dairy products, without any hydrogenized oils and so forth. So we could do all those um, all those preparations with the least with the least uh, uh, use of uh, well, actually, I, I let me take that back. Not without the least, or without any use commercially. Uh, commercially used products. So, and we're actually, we've done samples, we've done tests, and uh, we actually have major, a uh, couple of major U.S. food distributors that are very, that are very uh, happy with our products and that are looking forward to work with us because we are offering, um, again, naturally baked goods, breads, flatbreads, and so forth, croissants for the mass market without it being mass-produced. Well, that's wonderful. I'm glad to hear that's going well. And I'd certainly love to get some of those sourdough pitas because I love shawarma and falafel. I very much love the Armenian Middle Eastern food, but that is a deterrent now And going to these restaurants is it's always made with this bleached white flour and baker's yeast. So if I could get like a falafel wrap or a shawarma wrap made with some sourdough, that would be excellent. Correct, sir. And because they're all, again, great, great foods to eat, you know. Again, it's all about having a palate. If, you know, somebody has a palate, then they're, then they're open to new flavors and they're open to new types of foods and new textures. And again, we're all human and, you know, all of our back- backgrounds offer uh, everybody, you know, great foods and great cuisines that we can all enjoy with one another and that's the beauty of life and that's the beauty of life where we could offer you know natural foods without any hormones or any you know chemicals that we don't need because again unfortunately the society that we're living in nowadays is it's we're mass producing you know chemically induced and commercially induced products and everywhere from hair care to the food we ingest so Less is always better, and the less chemicals you have in your foods, especially, the better your chemical balances in your brains are, and the and the better and the and the happier you are. Actually, there's always also been clinical tests done, where you know they've done tests regarding foods that were made with preservatives and commercially added or modified ingredients compared to foods that were naturally prepared, and people that were ate natural foods had a better response, had a better mood, were just, you know, way better balanced than compared to people that were ingesting commercially made products. So that's that's our goal. It's just to keep everything to the rustic good old fashioned way where people can be happy and 
be satisfied with what they ingest. And you were talking a little earlier about hydrogenated oils, and I'd always wondered traditionally how is it that falafel is made? Because now a lot of these falafel places they use vegetable oil. But I was wondering, was the traditional oil used to cook falafel in? Well, actually, the traditional, you know, well, falafel is is pretty much it's um, peas with garbanzo beans and different spices, and they're made into little bowls, and they're deep fried. So, you know, falafel, I mean, traditionally there isn't a main type of oil that was used, but again, you know, natural oils that are found from, you know, either sunflower or, you know, canola or, you know, even you can use olive oil. It all just depends on, you know, peanut oil, which are, you know, some oils are higher in saturated fat than others. But then again, you know, without using lard or, you know, uh, hydrogenized oils, which, you know, are from vegetable, you know, shortening and so forth. So whatever you, whatever you stick to, whatever uh, plant that offers a natural oil is always good to use without it being processed. Again, the main word is not being processed. The less processed it is, the better it is for you and the better tasting it is. And tell the listeners where people can find your sourdough bread. Well, currently we're opening up uh, a retail store in front of our bakehouse, which is also where our uh, USDA meat plant is, which is called Western Gourmet, which we do offer a retail spot right in front of our you know, plant. And Artisan Bakehouse is also going to offer a retail store right in front of our uh, bakery slash bakehouse. So uh, we're, again, located in L.A., um, between Atwater Village and Hollywood. And uh, pretty much the address is 4529 Alger Street, Los Angeles, California, 90039. And our phone number is again eight one eight four five six seven 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 seven. And I mean, you guys could you know definitely get in touch with us if you guys need specific catering done to, for example, chefs and so forth. We could definitely offer you know and work with different uh, styles of bread. It could it could range from rolls to baguettes to tarts to loaves and whatnot. So you know we could work with the consumer in every way possible because we believe in the consumer that, because we are consumers as well. So, And we're also going to offer, we also offer um, at different farmer's markets and our uh, website is up, which is known as artisanbread.com. So you can feel free to go on and check our website out. And we do uh, offer all the details and all the specifics needed to, you know, get in touch with us, and we can provide you with whatever is needed. And what are some of the farmer's markets that people can find you? Well, we are at um, the Sherman Oaks Farmer Market. We are at Lancaster Farmer Market. We are at the Santa Monica Farmer's Market. And uh, soon we're probably going to add a few more. But those are the main ones right now where you can find us at. But again, to find us out, mainly you guys could always contact us at our website, which is, again, artisanbread.com. And, again, the phone number to our big house is 818-546-7777. And we will be glad and happy to help you out with 
and the needs that anybody has. And can we also find your bread in some restaurant? Well, we are actually currently working with a few restaurants. It hasn't been finalized, but we're in the works. Um, for example, Olive and Fig and uh, Argos and so forth. There's, you know, Spargos. There's a few uh, chefs that I'm currently, you know, talking to and working with. Again, like I said, it hasn't been finalized, but we are, you know, devoted to work with them and to, you know, supply them with our baked goods and our breads and our sourdough breads. So, again, it's in the process, but I truly believe and I uh, totally look forward on, you know, working with these great, fine institutions and restaurants. So, slowly but surely, we are going forward. Absolutely. Well, I look forward to seeing you at more farmer's markets in the L.A. area and finding your bread in more restaurants as the time goes on. It's been a pleasure having you on to represent out of bread making for our Independence Month of July. So listeners, once again, if you want to learn about their product, their website is artisinbread.com. Mike, thank you so much for coming here. And now for the desserts, how to live appropriately in the upcoming week. Lindner Bison has been unable recently to sell at the Los Angeles Farmers Markets because of a public safety law that requires them to use a county-approved cold storage facility. This law doesn't work for small farmers like Lindner Bison, the law was meant for large supermarkets and not these small farmers selling safe, healthy meat. Lindner Bison was respecting food safety by using a commercial chest freezer for their products, and they can't afford commercial space that's inaccessible on weekends. You can contact members of the LA and California governments to lift the ban and stop all legal action against them. The names and numbers are available at my good friend Victoria Block's website for loveofood.com. That's F O R. L-O-V-E-O-F-O-O-D dot com. Also, this Saturday, July 27th, the Institute of Domestic Technology is offering a one-day workshop on stone fruit. You can learn more about how to make plum jam, pickle peaches, turn stone fruit into condiments, and end the day with your own cocktail. For more information, go to instituteofdomestictechnology.com. And finally, this Tuesday, July 20th, is the Pasadena Weston A. Price Chapter's monthly potluck dinner and speaker. This month's guest is Paul Grieve of Primal Pastures. He'll talk about backyard chickens and raising animals sustainably. The event starts at 6.30 p.m. For more information on the potluck dinner, plus a more detailed list of events going on in Los Angeles, check out the Weston A. Price Pasadena website at westonaprecepasadena.blogspot.com. That's all for this week. My guest next week is Dave Klingenberger, of the Brinery. For more information on my guests, as well as to hear past episodes, visit my webpage at appropriateomnivore.com. Okay, well,